This morning we're going to be talking about home. And we, song, we, we, we sing songs about heaven and uh, just a celebration of that. But I want you to process through me. Just When you think about home, what are some things you think about? Many of us might think about us gathering around a table, having all the kids together, just celebrating. Some of it might be gathering around a table and our kids coming back home and celebrating with us. Others might be thinking about all the projects you have at your house that you've been doing all summer long and it seems like it's never gonna end. Some of you might be thinking about the projects that you have to do and you're going, oh, how am I going to pay for all this? Well, this morning as we talk about home, I want you to really just start with a thought process with me. Just imagine with me, you leave the service today you pull up to the house, you go in the house, you go to the fridge, grab your favorite beverage, you're getting relaxed. Maybe you feel like you go change clothes if you're a guy like me, maybe you take your shirt off and just sit on the couch lounging. I don't do that, by the way. But imagine if you were that person, and you're lounging on the couch, and everything's relaxed, and you put your foot up on the coffee table, you turn on the TV, you start watching your favorite TV show, you look around and you say, I don't like where that picture's at. So you start rearranging pictures on the wall, and you're like, I don't like where the furniture's at. So you start rearranging furniture, and as you're rearranging furniture and you're moving the pictures on the wall, all of a sudden someone walks in the house. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just rearranging things. I'm just moving the pictures because I don't like that picture there. I want it there. And I like this couch here, but not here. And they said, that's great, but this is not your home. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about home and how often we try to rearrange the world to fit our idea of home. When in reality, we have a much better place to go to. So will you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As you are turning there, I want to give a little bit of backdrop into the church at Corinth and a little backdrop into 2 Corinthians. From what we understand through Different, uh, through the two books, of, two books of Corinthians we have, First and Second Corinthians, there was actually four different letters written to the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth was in Greece, and it was a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul. And so he wrote, shortly after he planted the church, he wrote a letter to them because there were some things going on. And then he wrote another letter to them in 1 Corinthians. And that was addressing things like sexual immorality. It was addressing things like division. It was addressing things like how they were trying to incorporate the Greek life and the Greek worship into their Christian worship. And so 1 Corinthians is actually a book of a lot of theology. It's, it's beautiful. All the Bible theology. But that is just so rich in all the chapters. And so Paul wrote that book. Then Paul was traveling and he wanted to go visit them again. And so this was going to be the second time that he was actually going to make it to the church of Corinth. But before he got there, something happened and he couldn't go. So he sent Timothy ahead. And he sent Timothy to the church. And as he went to the church, Timothy found out that there was actually people that were coming in, causing division in the church. 
And they were actually saying Paul was not of God. So they're questioning, is Paul of God? If he's not of God, is his words of God? And so these people convinced the whole church that Paul was a fraud trying to build his own kingdom, trying to boost his own name. So Paul, when he heard that from Timothy, he's like, I got to go visit. So he went to visit. And when he went to visit them, it was just as Timothy told him. The people were like, no, we don't want to listen to you anymore. You're a nobody to us. And Paul decided, I'm not going to stay here and argue. I'm not going to stay here and fight. He humbled himself and said, I can stay here and cause division. I'm going to pull away for a second. He pulled away, and that's where he wrote another letter that we don't have. And in this letter, what we understand from what we understand in our studies, that it was actually a letter of stern confrontation, calling for them to repent, calling for them to turn from their ways, because their ways are leading to judgment. Later on, Titus actually went and visited, and, and Titus got word. He was like, when he went and visited, he saw that good chunk of the church, a large portion of them, actually did repent, saying, you know what? Paul is pointing to Jesus, and he's not trying to build his own kingdom. Even though there were still some people in the church that were teaching that, Paul, uh, Titus saw that many of the church were turning away from that and going, Paul was a man of God. And that's actually where we got 2 Corinthians, where 2 Corinthians came in, Paul wrote a letter to them, encouraging them, building them up. It was a letter of love. If you read like the, always his letters at the very beginning, he always says things like, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the church of God, the Corinth, together with the saints throughout Asia, grace and great peace to you from God our Father. He's always talking about how much he loves these people. And so the Second Corinthians is actually a letter from Paul after he went through this whole process of the church abandoning, denying he was a man of God to coming back and saying, no, as a majority of the church, we actually believe you are a man of God. And so today, as we're digging into this, you're going to see some of the addressing of Paul, where he's going to address some of that, talking about our home. So, with me, turn to, we got 2 Corinthians, we're going to look at chapter 4, starting with verse 16. Therefore, now pause, why do we... Why do we hear the word therefore? Well, because there's actually something for that. In fact, if any time in Scripture you read the word therefore, you got to ask the question, what is therefore, therefore? And so we look back earlier in that chapter of 4, and Paul was going through talking about jars of clay, looking at verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that with all surpassing power is from God and not from us. Paul was saying, therefore, because he was recognizing, but as we're looking at this, we are nobodies. We are frail jars, jars of clay. But the power of God in us is amazing. But it's not because of us, but it's because of the power of God. You see, here he's saying God has the ability to magnify and demonstrate his power when he uses the weak, silly little jars of clay that if you drop, they break. And he's saying, so therefore, this is happening. He goes on to say in verse 13, it is written, I believe, therefore I've spoken with some uh, spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who created the Lord Jesus from the dead also raises us with Jesus and present with you in his presence. 
All this is for your benefit, so the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow, overflow for the glory of God. What he's saying here is, listen, therefore we are jars, but guess what? Therefore we have the power of God in us. But it's not for our own glory, it's to demonstrate and clearly communicate the love of Jesus that has saved us. So therefore, there's so much in that word, so let's keep reading. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart because we're jars of clay that are broken. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. So therefore, we do not lose heart, verse 14. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Have you ever noticed our bodies are wasting away? I'm 43 years old, and somewhere around 24, I think I hit my prime. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> and it's little by little, just little chips of the jar are just breaking away. In this world, we can expect that we're going to have trouble. In this world, we're going to recognize that we're going to have body pain. We're going to have body ache. Where our bodies are going to waste away, and we're going to have troubles. And here, Paul is talking about a couple different things. Paul is talking about persecution that he received. And he was also talking about rejection from the church that he absolutely loved. And he was saying, listen... This body and this life, things are going to waste away, but they are just momentary troubles. They are literally just momentary troubles, but they're achieving for us a greater glory. See, our troubles have purpose. This world offers troubles, but our our troubles have purpose. God is working through these momentary troubles to achieve for us an eternal glory. Here's the thing about our troubles. Too often... God is using our troubles to work in eternal glory. And we're there ignoring the eternal glory. And we're sitting there going, God, take away these troubles. Don't we do that? With the COVID thing that's going around the world, how many of us have just thought or prayed, I just wish it was over? But what if God's actually in the business of doing something for his eternal glory in us? What if he's actually in the business of making his children more like him. Wouldn't that be neat? But guess what? God is in the business of making us more like him in these momentary troubles. Whether it's persecution for carrying the name of Jesus, or it's troubles in this world that are just random. God is not just a God of randomness. God is a God of order who takes the randomness and uses it for his eternal glory and for our eternal glory. So we actually receive an eternal glory. For us, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So this is what I would ask and invite you guys to do this morning. As we are um, digging into God's word and we're talking about home, I want you to get three thoughts just really wrapped into your brain. Okay? Number one, this world's full of trouble. You can't expect anything less. I know it sounds like we wish, you know, with the American dream, we think everything's going to be great. And we're like, yeah, I try hard, I work hard, and everything's good. But guess what? This world is not our home. And so we can expect trouble. 
Number two, we can expect and totally depend that God has purpose in our troubles. And that purpose is actually working in us an eternal glory. So the very things that we're praying away, God is saying, I'm actually using. I'm using. So how do we respond to that? Because it's great. Yeah, God, praise you that, you know, my troubles mean something. But all these things just seem so big and they're so obvious in my mind. And I can't leave. They, can't, they won't leave my mind. And this is where he says, he goes on to say, so we fix our eyes on what is seen. Not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. With this, we need to understand that eternal cannot be seen right now, but it is real nonetheless. In fact, I would even clarify it even a little more. Everything that we see is going to pass, but the real real will be real forever. You guys get that? Everything we see right now is going to pass. It's going to be a faint memory. But the real real will last and be real forever. So we need to right now purpose in our heart that we're taking our eyes off of what is seen and saying, I'm going to look for the bigger picture. I'm going to be looking for the eternal. Would you please turn with me into Hebrews chapter 11? We're going to look at how an author here in Hebrews fleshes out for a second, and then we're going to jump back to 2 Corinthians. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the faith chapter. And uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. But what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians is actually talking about a heart, a life, and a mind of faith. Now faith, in verse 1, says this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You guys get that? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. The ancients were men and women of God who said, I am not going to focus on the unseen. I'm not going to focus on the seen, but I'm going to focus on the unseen. And through the rest of that chapter, it says, by faith, Abel, and he did stuff. By faith, Enoch, and he did stuff. By faith, Noah, and he did stuff. By faith, Abraham, and he did stuff. Later on in the chapter, we see Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab. We see all these men and women who are really taking their eyes off of what is seen, and they're focusing on the unseen. And we look at verse 13 here, and it says this, And all these people... We're still living by faith when they die, which means what they were hoping for, the things they were certain of, they're looking for that unseen. They were, they were still, they haven't received a full promise quite yet. They did not, in fact, verse continues on and says this they did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, all these men and women of faith, they took their eyes off the, un- or the scene, and they focused on the unseen. And was it natural? Was it normal? No, they had circumstances around them. If you go back and read in the Old Testament the things they went through, 
They had lots of turmoil around them, and yet they chose to look to the unseen. But not only that, they were longing for a better country, a better home, a heavenly one. See, I think the hard part for us is that we keep our eyes fixed here, even though we think we believe in a heaven, but we keep our eyes fixed here. And I say I think we believe in a heaven because if we really believe the full extent of how awesome heaven is, we'd be ready to go and want to go. But if I were to ask you today, who here wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Who here wants to go right now? Some of you. But if we were honest, some of us would be saying, but Lord, I want to have grandkids first. But Lord, I want to get married first. But Lord, I want to play this sport and I want to win this award. But Lord, but Lord, but Lord. And all the times we say, but Lord, it's because we actually have our eyes on the old country, on the old home. I want to say something that's going to sound very weird. My wife gets upset with me for, I say, for saying this. But it's something, a phrase that I've said for years. And when I say this, I have zero suicidal thoughts. <laughs> zero. But I almost tell my wife every day, it's a good day to die. Because reality is, heaven is so much better than here. Do we believe that? The hard part is, too many of us are busy trying to rearrange pictures on the walls. We get distracted by the momentary troubles. We get distracted by people around us. And we butt heads. Can I speak some potentially painful truth? We say things that cause division with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We go on Facebook and blast things. We have a mask or no mask fear. Last week, I wore a mask to church. Not because I felt like I needed a mask, but because I had someone, actually a few people from our church telling me, I don't want to go to church because I feel judged when I wear a mask. So I wore a mask because I wanted, first of all, I told that person, no, that doesn't happen here. That's honest. And then I wore a mask. And guess what? Many people didn't, but many people did. And I wasn't offended because I wasn't, it wasn't my conviction, it wasn't my thought. But I can honestly tell you, sometimes the mask, no mask thing is just a big distraction. Be honest, right? Here's a question. In a hundred years or a thousand years from now, when you're in heaven, how much do you think you'll think about a mask? Will it even be a thought of yours? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah, or will I debate the mask? No, you will not. See, in this life, we build distractions, and we rearrange things, trying to make this world our home, and convince everybody else of our thoughts. And guess what? It is the scene But as believers, we're called to keep our eyes on the unseen. 
We're called to get rid of the distractions. Just as much as God wants to use this for an eternal glory in our life, Satan wants to use this as a way to divide the body of Christ. And I can tell you, the body of Christ is generally divided right now. Across America, there's a lot of questions. They're not sure what's going on. Because people get so distracted with secondary issues instead of Jesus. Remember, we're jars of clay. But the power of God is alive in us. So let us explode with the power of God and not be distracted by the moving of pictures on the walls of things that don't really matter. See, they, these men and women of Hebrews, were longing for a better country, a heavenly home. Why? Because it was better. Will you long with me? Will you long with me? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're going to pick up in chapter 5. So Paul processes what it looks like to focus on the unseen instead of the seen, which I'm praising the Lord he does, because we could be saying, how in the world do you focus on the unseen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 1. So now, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed, our heavenly dwelling. So what is mortal may be swallowed up. Let's pause for a second. That was a lot to chew on. As Paul was declaring and really just fleshing out what it means to focus on the unseen and the seen, he's saying this. Remember this. Right now we're in a tent. Now when you think about tent, you've got to remember this. Tent means temporary. Just like the people when they were in the desert, the people of Israel, when they were in the desert, they were still longing for the home of Israel, the nation, the land of Israel. And so it was a temporary place. And here Paul is saying is, listen, now we hope that the earthly temporary home that we live in is destroyed. Guess what? We know that there is a building from God, an eternal house. Now, do you guys recognize that he actually went from tent in one word, in one word and phrase to house in another? Why do you think he would go to house? Because a house has a foundation and it's set in place. And he's saying, when we have our eyes on the unseen, we will recognize that this is temporary, but this is not it. This fails, but this is not it. This will be destroyed, but that's okay because this is not it. The tent, the residence is temporary and we'll have trouble and eventually it will be destroyed. But God has prepared our true home for us in heaven. Amen? You see, this is not it. But yet, we groan for our new home. Our troubles here cause us to groan for our true home. In Romans, it talks about all creation groans for his return. As a child of God, can you feel that groan inside of you that's like, ugh, I just, ugh, this is not right, ugh. Our bodies, 
as children of God, groans to be clothed in his house that he creates upon us. Longing to be clothed in our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. That word, that thought of not be found naked, stems back to in the garden when, when Adam and Eve found that they were naked. What followed that nakedness? Shame. When we are clothed in the eternal home, we are no longer clothed in shame. But we are clothed in the glory and goodness of God. So our body groans for that day. But not only does our body groan for that day, but God gave us a spirit, gave us his spirit as an assurance of our home coming up. In verse 5, it says this, Now, it is God who has made us this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You know, when I bought my house um, and I made an offer on my house, I had to write a check with my offer. And it guaranteed that my offer was good. And here, that guarantee is the Holy Spirit in our life knowing that what God said is good. And we have it. It's knowing that what is to come is coming. So we have the Spirit of God in us that assures us of our new home. So let's keep reading. So therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, and I say I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So let's pause for a second. See, here Paul's saying, listen, this is flesh, it's temporary. This life is temporary. The real, true home is eternal. And I would so much rather be there than here. But here, we have to live by faith. On this side of heaven, we have to live by faith. We need to keep our eternal home always in our view. We cannot trust what we see with our eyes here. You guys get that? We cannot trust what we see with our eyes here. Living by faith means taking God at his word even when things don't seem so clear here. But why do we live by faith now? Here's some really cool thing, really exciting thing. Let's keep reading. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home and are in a body, away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Y'all understand that we're going to actually stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ? Now I want to give you guys a little heads up. There's actually two judgments. There's the great, the great white throne judgment, and there's a judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment is a judgment where all mankind stand before God, and if they have trusted in, those who have trusted in Jesus are deemed worthy, not based on our merit, but, but on Jesus Christ and what he has done. But those who have not, they are judged for an eternal judgment to hell. But that is not this judgment. This judgment seat of Christ is a totally different type of judgment. In fact, if you look at the Greek of this, it says the bema seat is another term for the judgment seat of Christ. 
Now, the bema seat was a platform that was used in Greek, in Greece. And it was used for two purposes. One purpose was for the authority to come stand on it and to declare the laws. The other purpose of the bema seat was for the Olympics, where people would run, and at the bema seat, people would receive the reward for their game, for whatever they played and won the race. And here he is saying, listen, we are all going to be at the, or as Christians, we are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, at the bema seat, to receive the reward. We see this fleshed out a little bit in 1 Corinthians 4. In fact, let's turn there real quick if you have that. 1 Corinthians 4. We're going to read verses 4 and 5. And he said this in verse 4 and 5. For my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Just as we looked in 2 Corinthians, the idea of getting the praise. As we're at the Bema seat and we receive the reward, we actually receive praise from God. Does that ever blow your mind? Have you ever thought about the actually God of all creation is actually going to praise you for a moment to say, good job, here's your reward. In my mind, it doesn't make sense. In fact, in my mind, I'm going... Uh, I'm a nobody. You gave me the ability to do it. I'm standing before you. I realize how worthless I am. And yet, before the eyes and heart of God, he goes, I love you. You're not worthless. I place value upon you. And I give you a reward for your acts of faith. You see, we walk by faith because we recognize We have the love of God, and we recognize there's rewards by acting out and living out our faith. So let's turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we have the idea that this is flesh, but God is creating us a new home. We have the understanding that one day we will be clothed before God with our new home. We understand that God has deposited us a spirit that gives us peace and joy and affirms and guarantees our salvation. We are, understand that we are called to live by faith. And we understand that there will be a reward where we get to stand at the Bema seat and receive rewards. But how in the world did this affect Paul and his thought process? Because the reality is we could say, oh, that's great, Nate. All oh, great. But what does it mean and what does it look like to keep our eyes on the unseen? Well, once again, I'm very glad you asked. Let's look at verse 11. There are three things, three things that caused, that worked out in Paul's life, that when he kept his view on his true home, there are three things that shifted in his heart. Number one, it compelled Paul to convince 
others, to plead for others to know God's love. Since then, verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so you can answer those who take pride what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. And if we are in our right mind to you, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live shall no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here we see that Paul was compelled and convinced that he needs to convince others of God's love. We see that in verse 11, that we try to persuade men. And he said, in this persuasion, some people will think we're crazy. Some people look at us and go, they're nuts. But for the ones that get it, it's life. We could go out right now, every one of us, tell people about Jesus, and there will be multiple people that will think we're lunatics. But for the one, two, three, four that don't, was it worth it? Yes. And here he's saying, if people think we're out of our mind, that's okay, it's for the sake of God. But if we are in our right mind, it's for you. You get it. And it's Christ's love that compels us to do this. See, when our focus is on the eternal and on the unseen, our focus also becomes on telling people and convincing people that that place is better than here. And I asked a question a few minutes ago, who wants to go to heaven? But who wants to go now? And here's a real question. If heaven is so good, why don't we want to go right now? Because our eyes are here instead of there. Brothers, sisters, we need to keep our heart and our mind and our eyes on our true home, recognizing that we are called to tell people. Let's keep reading verse, 17, or verse 16 there. So from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. Here, Paul is saying, I have a heart to convince and compel people of God's love, but I also understand this. People are not the same people they were before Christ. Aren't you glad you're not the same person you were before Christ? I'm glad I'm not the same person I was when I was 20 years old. Most of you may not have liked me. And I'm not joking. God has worked in my heart where I'm not as, as you guys know I'm an outgoing, expressive person. Right? But it also used to be I was that way frictionally with people. I would just speak my mind so hard and I was abrasive. Praise the Lord, that's not who I am anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ. And when we keep our eyes on the eternal, We understand that we don't judge people by the old man, but we are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. 
Isn't that good news? Who here wants to be that old guy? I don't want to be that old guy. That old guy was skinnier and I would still take me. Because Christ is alive in me and at work in me. The old guy has nothing compared to what God has done. So when we keep our eyes and our hearts on our true home, it compels us and it compels Paul to convince people of God's love. It causes Paul and it causes us to see people through a different view. But not only that, let's keep reading. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That's a good place for a hallelujah right there. Not counting men's sins against them. For he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The third thing that keeping his eyes on the unseen and eternal home did for Paul is it caused him to recognize that he is now an ambassador for Christ, sharing the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are the ambassadors of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I have a former student... His name's Chris, that uh, went to school, graduated college, and I can't remember if he went to Yale or Harvard. He went to one of those schools. Um, but he studied, to, he wants to be an ambassador to Peru in South America. And he just graduated, and he has a foreign, ser- he's a, now a foreign service officer. Now here's the thing about being an ambassador or a foreign officer. You think he could go to them, start writing his own agreements with people? Do you think he could go to them and start representing himself to another nation? Is that the way it works? No. He goes there as an ambassador, as a representative, and he represents the United States. So he understands, he thinks, talks, acts, communicates in a certain way because he represents the United States. He doesn't get to make up his own thoughts. As believers in Christ, we are ambassadors. We get to represent Christ. And when we represent Christ, we do one of two things as Christians. We either build bridges or we build barriers to the cross. We build bridges or we build barriers. When we get distracted with the pictures on the walls, we're actually building barriers. When we post abrasive things on Facebook, or we have personal arguments with people over things that in a hundred years or in a thousand years will not matter, we are actually building barriers. 
But when we communicate the grace and love of Jesus Christ and hold him high as our banner, we are building bridges. So the question for you is this. This morning, are your eyes on your eternal home? Or are you being distracted with pictures on the walls and a home that is not even yours? Are we busy rearranging things, trying to convince people of our political stance? I don't care if you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump. When we post things on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I don't care. When we start doing things like that, we oftentimes are actually building barriers with people. I'm not saying you can't have opinions. I'm saying opinions are a lot sweeter to dialogue with when you're in person. But too often we post things, people know we're Christians, we're posting things on, on Instagram or Facebook or, or Twitter, and we're doing things that are causing division. And I cannot be really honest. If we're building barriers, we need to delete our Facebook account. Because at what point is it worth not being an ambassador that brings glory to God? At what point do we say, I'm done building barriers? I want to build bridges. When we keep our eyes on our new home, we are convinced to tell others of God's love, and we want to compel them. When we keep our eyes on our new home, we start viewing people differently. When we keep our eyes on our new home, we recognize we are ambassadors with a message from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What message are we sharing? Let's pray. Father, this morning I come before you. And God, I ask in my own heart that I will recognize eternal over temporary. That in my own heart I will Keep the unseen in my perspective and recognize that anything that is happening on this earth you want to use for our eternal glory and yet sometimes we get distracted and get angry and we get angry with people and God is really at work trying to actually use these things for our glory and we use them as platforms to push a different message besides you. Lord, I pray that you will work in my heart. And Lord, I pray that as we as a body of believers, we will be a people that are convinced we need to compel people of your love. That we will be a body of people that are convinced and know that we are a new creation and others are a new creation as well, those who are in you. But Lord, we will be convinced and know that we are ambassadors, representatives of you with the message of reconciliation, knowing that Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. We thank you for that message. We thank you for your grace. We praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.